Wrong does not cease to be wrong because the majority share in it. Leo Tolstoy. Bending, not breaking. Season 7, Episode 5. Enemy at the Gates. And welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. I'm Ben. And we are talking more Legend of Korra. We're back. As we are just speeding through this season. Yeah. Uh, it's going to go by too fast. It really is. It is. It is going to go by too fast. Yeah. But uh, every time I sit down and watch another episode, uh, season four creeps up on my list of seasons that are really good in Korra uh, in its rankings. Um, Very I, good. I, it still might be the my least favorite season. However, it's still a really good season. Yeah. And that's a good problem to have. They're all good. I mean, they're all good. They're all good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, I'm, I've been thinking about this, and we we have, I've been working with four or five people to try and guest with us, and it turns out schedules are hard, y'all. Um, but we're, we're working on it, and I'm really excited for if any of them end up being able to do it, we're going to have some really great conversations, but... We'll see. Oh, we'll get them here. There are, I mean, we've got some that are jazzed to be in it. They are just uh, holding out for the back end of the season, which is fine. Accurate. Because we are still here. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, there's something to celebrate in that too. But uh, before we get into everything, <laughs> uh, we should figure out what we're looking at this episode through. What is the lens we are looking at this episode through today? Conscience. Conscience. Yes. That's okay. The, great. Yeah, that's the one. Okay. That's the one. Got it. <laughs> conscience. Let your conscience be your guide. Uh, an inner feeling or voice viewed as acting as a guide to rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. Indeed. Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, that's a Pinocchio reference we made. Um, yeah, it's interesting to think about because. This inner voice is a very interesting way of framing it, um, because what it's suggesting is that you know the the brain is really interesting, right? In that, what can happen is there is the this idea in a lot of religions and a lot of uh, philosophy where there is the self, and then there is something else in us that also has a voice that is separate from us, right? That is this voice. And sometimes there are more than one, right? Sometimes there are multiple voices that are separate from us. When in reality, one might say that they are all the same, but the they're just conflicting, right? So this right. idea that other is conflicting for some reason and this idea that we can hold multiple ideas that are in conflict with one another led to this idea a long, long time ago of the conscience, right? Of something that is influencing us, that is separate from us, but also within us. And that's just a really complicated like, philosophical notion, from a, for, and it has been for a while. But it's also pretty interesting. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, so we'll we'll dive into conscience uh, and 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 how it plays out in this episode because it, there's some literal moments of it. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, but then also, what does that look like? Uh, and honestly, some of the more interesting questions is how do we develop it? Is probably where my mind went a lot. Is like, mm. how did we get to that point of feeling those rights and wrongs inside of us? And I think that that's maybe more where the interesting conversation lies. Yeah. Uh, as we look at, you know, the characters that exist, because um, a lot of times what we view is right. Uh, and, and feels morally correct inside of us has been developed through different avenues. And so I think the conversation 
around that for each individual character might might uh we might be able to glean some things from it so excited for that but before we get to that Mm. you've got 30 seconds to do a recap Mm. Mm -hmm. because that's your favorite thing to do Mm -hmm. are you ready Mm -hmm. on your mark get set go so Kuvira and Batar Jr. arrive in Zalfu with an army, and then Varric tries to back out of the spirit vine business, and then Kuvira's like, bowl in, do the thing, and then, you know, try and convince Sue with bops, and then Hiroshi Sato is proud of Asami, wow, and then family struggles, and then Bolin kind of is ignorant, and then asks there. questions, and then, oh my god, and then Korra and the Erkido showed up, and then we learned Suyin did not accept leadership in the struggle best times, and that led to Kuvira doing the whole thing back in the day, and then Korra talks to Kuvi and Bolin. Three. And Julie tried to two, escape, and then Julie one. threw the bus to escape. This is unfair to you because I feel like I get a lot of the fighting episodes to yeah. recap. You get this one sentence that covers the whole thing, and then ten minutes of fighting, and I'm sitting here going like, "Yeah, you had a lot to navigate." <laughs> it's like I was, I was like taking notes, and I was like, "Man, how much longer is in the episode?" And I was halfway through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like trying. <laughs> A lot, a lot of different scenes in this one. So uh, I give it a B minus. What? There's fine. It's fine. Well, luckily for, you know, the audience, we'll go through. (laughs) We'll go through it a little bit more. Uh, What is some moments of conscience that you want to talk about in uh, in this episode? So let's get the obvious one out of the way. the, The word came up in the episode, right? So specifically around Barrick. Yeah. This moment's really interesting. Like they are testing this machine. He's like, it weighs this many Julies and there's this many Variks of power. And I think it's interesting that we use Julie for weight and Varric for power, but we'll not go there because that's not what we're talking about today. Um, and my conscience is telling me that's wrong. <laughs> there's something up with that that we might want to question. Um, but regardless, uh, the experiment blows up and not only does it blow up, it like blows a hole in the back of this train and like, and it does some serious damage. And Varric's like, whoa, this is too much. This is outside of the scope of what is okay. And that's like the first time. Well, and here's what, and here's where I think of that because I, Varric is, um, Varric's not a good person. Um, <laughs> He's chaos, uh, which is right. Uh, and I'm, tra- I'm challenging that because in my head, like everyone's capable of good. Every you know, there's no such thing as good and bad people with behaviors that lead to that. So let me push back on the statement that I just made because, uh, you know, maybe I don't feel that as strongly. But there is something to be said about when a problem affects you, you start to take notice that it might not be a good idea. Yeah. He Julie almost gets hurt in this moment. You get a little moment between her and Varric. And that's when he's like, oh, someone I someone I love or someone I might have feelings for or someone that's directly in vicinity in vicinity to me might get hurt. Oh, now I think it's an issue. Yeah. Um, that's an issue. <laughs> like, well, so like, what about that is an issue for you? Uh, it's an issue that the only time we are worried about the problems that are happening are when they directly affect us mm. is an issue to me and is not acting within a moral compass. If the only time you are worried about things happening or starting to question whether or not things are good or not, like he has sold weapons to the world. He has been an arms dealer, right? And so it had no issue with it. But Julie almost gets hurt from him trying to create something, an energy source, a weapon. And that's when he's like, oh, maybe this isn't good. I have I have an issue with that. And again, it begs the question, what gets us to our conscience and delivers that? Because there are a lot of times, if we're only focusing on issues that are happening to other people, um, or if we only care about issues when they start to cause harm to ourselves, that's a problem. Yeah. And I think the, the key thing here is what that is giving us, right. Is that the conscience alone is not a good enough ethics filter for us to, for us to think about for the world, right. People are doing things and they're doing atrocious things and it is well within what their conscience allows 
Um, and so what that's telling us is that the conscience in and of itself is not something that is this like, you know, intercultural thing that we all share, right? Rather, it's something that is unique to the person and that we should pay attention to that, right? So like, oh, what is your conscience telling you is an interesting question to ask in, as a way to help children develop character, right? That is a question that makes me go, hmm, what is your conscience telling you does not necessarily get them to the right answer, right? And I think that's just something that's worth lifting up. Yeah. Well, we see this in Milo uh, as they are coming back to talk our chorus coming back right i'm so excited to see you beat up kuvira and like i'm so excited for this violence and yeah you're gonna fight and you're gonna kick her butt and she has to acknowledge like (laughs) kuvira saved my dad yeah kuvira has done some really good things Mm -hmm. i would like to talk to her about it and milo's like oh and so again so we get to this point of like there milo sees no problem and yeah. maybe because he's seen a little bit of the world at this point that maybe uh, Cora hasn't seen as she's been healing. Um, maybe he's getting pushback or what, or, you know, is an understanding of like, oh, dad was very against Kuvira doing all of this. So I should probably be against Kuvira doing all this. But he jumps to violence pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and morally, he's like, he, he's got no issue with it. Yep. Um, now he's nine, 10, maybe at this point. Um, but again, you know, what he views as ethical, his conscience is cool with. Yeah. Um, but I really am on Cora's side with this on this. I would like to, to see what we can do in a nonviolent way. Yeah. Well, what's, what's really interesting about that is the, the trajectory, like the life trajectory from being a child and the brain to being an adult. Right. One of the things that's really interesting about children is that they don't have the brain capacity space development to be able to hold two simultaneous truths that conflict. What they hear is they hear right and wrong and they make a quick determination. Right. For any of us who have interacted with children, it's like, what's the right thing to do? It's this and this. It's very binary. Uh, until we start to cultivate a different experience. And what happens is I, you know, I heard once for college essays that when you're writing an essay, it's the ability to entertain two conflicting ideas in the same paper is a sign of what I like. The quote I heard was that that's a sign of intelligence, right? And it's interesting to think about for, for Milo here, because he is in this position where the right thing to do is to take down Kuvira because he's living in a situation where Kuvira is taking over the earth empire. She's using force and that's the narrative he's heard. And so that's the right thing to do. Right. And it's binary. And what's problematic, I think for a lot of us is realizing that a lot of people don't grow out of that binary mode of thinking. And it becomes something that what I am hoping for, I think is this ability to entertain the complexity of this, which I think is what Cora is showing us, right? She's 21. Now she's getting to the point where she can start to entertain these seemingly opposing ideas of yes, Kuvira is wrong. And we need to do our best to utilize nonviolence in as a way to try to convince her to do what's right, even though she's using violence. Right. So it's, it's a tough situation, but I think it's really helpful to think about the brain when we're thinking about why people are making judgments in this way and how their conscience is affecting them. One of the most common things as, as I've my career of working with kids is the idea around, you know, I'm being told by the adults and my caregivers that if I'm in danger, that it's okay for me to fight back. Right. That's a very common thing. Yep. What is lacked in a lot of those situations when talking to kindergartners, first graders is not the thing of like, yeah, if you're in danger, like you should get out of that danger. Um, someone pushing you while you're on the swing is not equivalent to you turning around and punching them because you weren't actually in danger or you have adults around you who maybe you should go 
talk to right when these things Other happen tools. now there's a lot of nuance to those types of things but like a, a typically a kindergartner doesn't understand the levels of like you're actually not in physical danger right now yeah um to warrant you turning around and drop kicking the person next to you because <laughs> you you don't like that they stole your seat right like that's not that's not equivalent and so there's a there is a, a lot of nuance and understanding that that you know exists and so what i'm saying that for is that there as we are figuring out how we impact the people in our lives understanding levels of nuance and what we're telling people and what and especially children what they're able to grasp and walk away with um which to me it's mind-blowing because i feel like there's a lot of times where parents have a really tough time around like i don't understand how to talk about you know trans individuals to my child where most children in my experience have, get that like have no issue understanding yeah. like you're like okay that's a person that's 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 a person over there and an, an adult over there that i don't know okay cool great move on but then they have no issues talking about violence <laughs> and the nuance around fighting and things like that uh yeah no if someone pushes you you hit them back and you're like okay i need us to pump the brakes yeah. um so it's a the dynamic i think of what you're talking about as we build that consciousness, is understanding the, the levels of nuance that come with yeah. holding separate ideas over time of what, what the two things can be true yeah so that is one element of this the other element i think we can use bolin to talk about um so bolin is really interesting case study in this specific episode because what we've seen throughout the season till now till this episode is that bolin is a kuviristan and is bought in and there is this line of okay there's kuvira and batar and the inner circle and then there's bolin and he bolin is being manipulated and bolin is uh clearly does not have all of the information and they get to the point where okay we need to bring him into the inner circle in order to do what we really need to do and the veil is removed Right. And so when we think about Kuvira as in the role of parent for a second, uh, parent, supervisor, power, authority, et cetera, what that does is it gives us a view of we can raise a child, we can raise a person and create a conscience within that person. Right. Kuvira gave Bolin the tools and things, and Bolin is committed. His inner voice is saying that this is right. This is what we are supposed to be doing because the message he has received and the things and the images that he has seen has perpetuated that, has cultivated that. Yep. And then once he's brought into the inner circle and is finally given more information, this is what's actually happening. This is like instead of these are not re-education camps to teach people trades. They are re-education camps for dissenters, right? These villages that aren't aren't thriving in your absence they are turning into slave labor and once he's in on the information he's like whoa 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 this is against everything you've taught me and bolin has this idealism that is still there from the way he was being raised before he was brought into the inner circle which brings him to the idea of like no this is wrong and i think that that could have gone one of two ways if his modality was that no Kuvira is right, not what we're doing is right, then he would have gone to the inner circle, stayed there, and his conscience wouldn't have been affected. But because his whole thing was what we're doing is the right thing to do, which was kept in check by Opal, which was kept in check by Cora, which was kept in check by Mako, which was kept in check by all these people, he was able to get into this situation and realize that he was finally in the wrong. And that is his conscience helping him do that. But that was something that was cultivated and raised. And Kuvira just made a, a, a an error, I think, in bringing him in. Thoughts? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, uh, how we cultivate our conscience is important. Because what I'm hearing in that is um, not only obtaining things from one source, making a point to make sure we're understanding the experiences and perspectives of a diverse group of individuals allows us to help build and cultivate that conscience correctly. Yeah. Um, I think right. 
had Bolin not gotten pushback from Opal, from Mako, and from all of the other people in his life that he really cares about, that in this moment, he may not have switched sides, right? If people didn't push back along the way, he might not have, like his conscience may not have told him that this was the wrong thing to do, right? And I, and you said it earlier, conscience alone isn't, does not then create good know, ethical good. action, ethical right? Because, action. yeah, because how often do we get that, that other information that says, no, have you thought about this and this and this and the experience of this individual? And we go, well, no, that's, that's not, that's made up. I don't want to believe it. Right. Social construct. <laughs> um, and so, and, and, and then don't change the behaviors because it pushes back on that stuff. So even when we get that pushback, it's now granted, there's always nuance to that as well. Yeah. Nothing is in a vacuum, right? You can't just, my mom will send me videos from like, you know, knock off YouTube sites that I'm like, mom, the reason that this is a video that is on this weird video platform is because it has been deemed <laughs> too yep. dangerous to be on mainstream platforms or it's going to give my computer a virus if I open it, um, yep. like may not be the best source. So it's also like you have to vet in the sources that yeah. are, are, are affecting that, that conscience as well. well. It's the same thing. Like when you're, when you're reading books, when you're taking in media, when you're doing all of these things, if it is through an unfiltered lens and you're just absorbing it all, that voice is becoming part of your inner narrative. Right. And I, I think one of the things that um, one of my favorite definitions of spiritual trauma comes from Hillary McBride, which we've talked about. And I'm bringing this up because it's pertinent to the conversation. But the idea of when, when someone gives you an inner voice and claims that it is the voice of God, that is spiritual trauma. And yeah. Uh, a, that is a that's an issue. And I think that uh, if we take that premise and say, when someone gives you an inner voice and it is unfiltered and it is just a part of you, that's in that we are incredibly vulnerable to that person when we let them become our inner voice. And what the problem is, children have no ways of controlling that, right? Correct. Um, and not frankly, a lot of people don't have ways of controlling that. So what happens is most of the time, if you think back to something that you feel a lot of shame about, right? If you go back, think about something that is a trigger for you. What is the first time you felt that? Usually it hinges, it goes back way back to when we were like five or six years old and there's someone who said something very specific and that voice has become a part of our conscience because that has, and it has lived with us because we're so scared of the triggers. Um, and so I, I think that when we let other people become our voice without being critical of that voice, that's how our conscience is developed. <laughs> and I think it can be developed intentionally too, by saying these are the people whose voices I want to be listening to. But I think the reason it says other voice is that it's a social thing. We are, it is being developed through community, right? Through the people that we engage with. And I think that's something that's really important. Which is exactly what we talked about earlier this season when it comes to Kavira and why maybe her conscience is a little bit skewed because yeah. she is not doing things in community, right? It is not... She's not making decisions or learning. And anytime someone offers, Bolin says, hey, is there a chance that maybe we're overstepping and yeah. don't need to be a control of his alpha? You sounds like you're not being loyal to the cause. Sounds like you're a dissenter. Sounds like. So anytime she's getting pushback. Yeah. It's a. All right, I'm going to I'm going to throw you to a re-education camp. Same thing with Varric, right? It's mm -hmm. the beginning. Hey, I have an inner voice that's saying I should drop you off this train right now. Like that is like hello. <laughs> well, and then now Julie, we we uh, we don't know yet why she is saying these things to Kavira, 
But it does allow us to say, is Julie being honest? Because when threatened with violence, are people then giving the feedback that we're expecting yes. here? Or yeah. are they giving true, true, honest feedback? And so, again, she's not in community with her decision making. And so her conscience is a little bit skewed, right? She's not taking the perspectives of other people. Yeah. Um, so... One thing that I find really interesting about this too is it, it was in regards to Kuvira is Su Yin and this idea that President Raiko and Tenzin come to Su Yin in this memory, right? Where we get we get the reason why Kuvira is who she is today. Like Su Yin was the best person for the job. And, you know, there is some truth in my eyes to the idea of the person who is most unwilling to take the role is probably one who would be best in a position of power. There's some truth to that. I'm not sure if it's the truth, but I think that Su Yin would have been an ex a, a good option. And I think Kuvira was so hurt by that decision that she took it upon herself to 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 do what she's doing, right? And part of the reason she's become who she become is resentment towards Su Yin because this inner voice that Su Yin kind of gave her was all of these ideals that Zalfu is about. I'm creating this inner voice for you and letting you live into this. And we're doing all these dances together. We're doing all these things that's, that are so good for the people of Zalfu why wouldn't you share that goodness with the world? And again, this binary thinking of it's either good or it's bad is where Kuvira seems to have been in this moment because Su Yin's entertaining all of these other things and has lived twice her life, right? And has been informed by other decisions and knows that maybe there are other options here. And Kuvira is just like, nope, this is the right thing to do. And we're going to go to war. <laughs> so it's just interesting to think about. And, I, you know, I am not always going to say that the person who is the older person with all the wisdom is the right, like making the right decision because their conscience has been developed over a long period of time and influenced by people too. But proximity to the ideal ideals or the problem also might be a little bit skewed. Like you can have all this experience, but again, if it's an experience that is, been siloed in a certain way yep. and you haven't had even though you have experience in this leadership you don't have experience in the life of a marginalized community correct then yeah. like you don't have the experience there um yeah so. it's, hard. it's it's one of those things where like i don't blame suyin for not stepping up that's not what i'm i think getting at but i i, I do think that I, I understand why Kuvira is resentful of Su Yin. For yeah. You know, yeah. which is a big yikes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Good stuff. Yeah. Where does your conscience lie on an assassination attempt? Yeah, I'm not for it. <laughs> well, um, yeah. In, in bringing in your sons to do it with you. You know, and I guess that's a question, right? Is this an assassination attempt or is this a like an attempt to like put her in prison with and leave them without a, a lead? But either way, it's an interesting choice. Um, yeah, I, I, I think what's interesting here, too, is thinking about Cora's perspective on this, right? Because season one, Cora would not have uh gone about it this way right right I, I think we've seen you know years of growth of of growth and trauma we're so proud of her yeah Cora's <laughs> so growing up yeah no proud of you know how you've you, like she is incredibly resilient and I, I will give her that and that's i wish she didn't have to be but like one of the yeah. things that is really interesting is that like season one Cora probably would have just gone in and started like accusing Kuvira of doing something wrong and then Basher tried to bash her in the face. Um, so the fact that Cora is trying to, you know, weigh everything and what's the best decision is really trying to be calculated and make a calculated decision here is a sign of growth. <laughs> it's a sign of, wow, 
you've come a long way. And I think that that is a development over all of these years where we've literally seen where Cora was and where she is now. And I think it makes a lot of sense that this is how she's responding to this moment. You know? Yeah, very much so. Uh, and, and again, I think it speaks to her understanding of where Kuvira was at one point. And Kuvira really, I mean, we've said it before, really has this in, innate ability to, to find connection pieces with the people that she's speaking to yeah. um, and latch into those. Hey, it was really hard when you were gone. Uh, and, and you know better now than anyone else that sometimes the decisions you make can't make everybody happy. Yeah, yeah you're right. I do know that it's hard. You're in a tough situation. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. And so if they don't give me the city in 24 hours, I'm going to take it by force. Whoa, like, okay, hold on. Whoa, <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> what? Um, but even then, it's interesting because uh, I see in this moment the conscience is there for Cora. Yeah. The want is there for Cora. The skill set to have that conversation still might not be there. Um, great point because she almost immediately goes to like, Hey, you know, you should back down. And Kavir is like, I'm not going to do that. And so Cora's like, I'm not going to let you take the shitty. And it like almost immediately reverts that because the skill set of like, all right, how do we have this conversation? Um, is not there. Um, yeah. that could have been a three hour long. Now, granted, we're on a 20, three episode you know minute show um but that conversation could have been a long three-hour conversation all right help me understand what you've been doing why and i'll help and then tell me why people feel this way because i know that this is in existence and let's really have a conversation around whether or not what you're doing is you yeah, know what's the real goal what's, okay. what's the real goal what's really happening yeah um because it just immediately goes like hey you should back down from Fu. like no fine i'm gonna fight you it was like what <laughs> <laughs> like no, you were you were so close yeah. um uh so i you know I, so that then that becomes the thing right so like the the motivations there uh but is the ability there and that is also with our conscience right like you are right, you have the right feeling you have the right um want but we've got to recognize that our ability to do a task may still cause harm um yeah. and so how do we navigate those spaces as well yeah, I think a lot of that is uh, when when you hear the term allyship, um, there's a lot of like, oh, yeah, con my conscience is telling me this is the right thing to do. Uh, and <laughs> yes. then how you yeah. engage in that work can be incredibly harmful Yeah, when, when push comes to shove. Oh, but I'm doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. This is why this is a makes me. Yeah, it makes title right makes me think of mission trips right like yep yeah you want to help people i get it you're doing it in a way that's causing harm yeah <laughs> so, like yeah no i think that's super important and i think that's worthy of of lifting up right it goes it's like the white savior complex when we think about it from a racist perspective it's the um there's just there's so many different examples we could probably point to but yeah oh my goodness so I like, okay, there's a few characters we haven't touched on yet that I really want to make sure we touch Let's on. Let's do it because we got we got to make some moves. So I'm thinking about Batar. Junior, Junior or, okay. So this is a really complex relationship, right? Where we still like, clearly he was like harmed in some way. And I think we get a little bit of like the feelings behind that harm in this unpacking when we meet with Batar Jr. and Kuvira versus the whole family. And there's this line of like, you've been brainwashed. And then Kuvira responds for Batar saying brainwashed. He's been set free from your, you know, way of life. Yeah. And this, this idea of Kuvira responding for him, one that's in character and super, it you know makes sense and it's really interesting that Kuvira responds for him in this moment because it's suggesting that exactly what she's saying is not necessarily true because she's responding for him right like there's this lack of freedom in a way and it's it's just a really interesting way of watching them this this collide and so I don't know exactly how to frame this in, in the frame of conscience but like 
other than to say that his conscience is clearly due to the way his he felt burnt by his family, metaphorically speaking, is leading him to side with Kuvira. I think you, you mentioned it earlier, right? The the line the the lines of communication or the 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 sources we get our information affect our conscience, right? And so if we're in these types of relationships where one, not only are they uh, romantically involved, so there's one side of a relationship coming in, but now you're also adding a an employer yeah. or supervisor into that role that is now in an additional uh, relationship. Um, so now we're getting things that are typically sectioned off you're seeing combined and creating problematic situations. We see two employer-employee relationships in this episode. Both are deeply problematic. Um, yep. As we as we start to see these grow into things, there's a it, there's an issue when it comes to someone holding a position of power over um, someone else. Who and then also you see romantic or uh, relational. Yeah. Uh, dynamics coming into play as well. It's going to be sticky for multiple reasons. Um, it's just not a good look, right? Like it, it turns it that turns into you know grooming behavior in those moments. You know what I'm reminded of? I'm I'm reminded of like the simplicity of language in this moment, and it's not simple, but it like if we just look at the language, I think it points us in the, a direction that's helpful. The, the use of pronoun I versus pronoun we, right? And I, I think that that's something that's interesting to think about, right? When uh, oftentimes before partnership, before there is a we, there is the I. And so I create this, the way that I speak, I say this, I think this, I, 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 I. And what we notice is the use of we, we is used more often when you become in partnership um, and it becomes a unit, right? Which is to say also similarly, our, our conscience is becoming more and more enmeshed, right? And so by being in such proximity and in relationship with Kuvira, their conscience has become somewhat more enmeshed than it would have been outside of that relationship. And I think that's true for family too, and why family is like often considered quote close knit, um, if they are indeed working and collectively being this we, um, which is thrown into sharp challenge later when Kuvira is really showing her eye, um, <laughs> her eyeness, and this is more about her than it is about we later on. But I'm just thinking about that and how the more often you're using we language suggests that your conscience is more entangled with the people around you that you're including in that we. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Oof. Oof. And then the last person I want to talk about is Hiroshi, who we haven't talked about yet. Hiroshi and Sami. Yeah, little pie show game. Yeah, so there's... This is a really good example of like begging the question around forgiveness. Like, would you have forgiven him? And like, what does forgiveness look like and things along those lines? Yeah. And I think when you frame that question in terms of conscience, it becomes really interesting because the narrative in the United States, and I should say like heteronormative white, you know, powered patriarchal United States as that mode of culture um, is suggesting that forgiveness is something like you should forgive because that's the right thing to do. Right. And I say that sarcastically because with a a giant side eye, Um, but like, so you should forgive is a voice that we have been in kind of indoctrinated with in this culture Mm -hmm. as it, it is the right thing to do to forgive, which creates this such cognitive dissonance of, I don't want to, but I should. I don't want to, but I should. And this like shouldness of things is another way to frame um, this inner voice that we're working with. And 
you know, we see it where that's with, with Asami, what we see is this. She sees the relationship between a father and a child kind of like out in the world and it right. makes her tear up and makes her be like, that's something that I miss about my childhood. That's something that I still have the opportunity to cultivate. And part of that is what leads her, I think, to this decision to, you know, try to forgive her father. And yeah, I don't know. This is like, well, what about this is resonating with you? Because yeah, this- I got so many thoughts. Yeah. It's- um, I, so the first one is, you know, for me, forgiveness is not a prerequisite for right or wrong. Right. So, um, there are certain things that Asami has that other people don't have. So the first thing is, do you need to forgive someone to be right? No, I don't think you do, right? You can be respectful towards people. You can be have empathy for people. Um, yeah. You can want what's best for people without forgiving them for maybe harm that they've caused. Right? You can do those things. You can hold those things, uh, multiple conflicting ideals in your head together, right? We've talked about that. Yeah. Um, so I don't think it's a prerequisite for that. So anytime someone tells you, like, to be able to heal, you have to forgive the person. No, you don't. It's a lie. Like, you don't have to forgive them to be able to heal or become the better person or be, be, the, be the person that you want to be. You don't have to. Um, Asami is in a position of privilege, weirdly enough, uh, because, because of the situation now that uh, Hiroshi's in life in prison, his capability to harm her, there's still that ability but it's much weaker than maybe it was outside of that, right? She gets to set the boundaries pretty regularly. Like if, if he's causing harm, I don't have to go. Um, if, if he isn't and he's proving slowly that he's not going to cause me harm, I can go more. And then maybe that leads to forgiveness. So she's got this structure in place um, that allows her maybe to be more likely uh, to forgive because there's safety measures involved. The chance of her getting harmed by him in the future is slimmer than it was if he was, you know, out in the world. Right? Not everybody else has that, um, yeah. and so I think that there's there's a the privilege allows her to be able to to maybe lean into that forgiveness a little bit more. But no, I don't think that con- like from a conscience standpoint, from a moral standpoint. Yeah, you don't have to forgive to heal or to be right. Or again, to care about someone or, or have empathy for them doesn't mean you have to forgive them for the harm that they caused. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things, just as an aside, because we ended up talking about a little bit more about forgiveness, but like there's a book that I have not read yet about forgiveness that is reframing what forgiveness is. And I'm really excited to read it because the the framework from that is I, I think agreeing with us from what a uh colloquial understanding of forgiveness is but they're trying to redefine it in a way that um i think is more accessible so um if you're curious about looking that up it's uh something a book lovely book that i'm planning to read but it's by matt potts um and i'm excited to read it and dive into it if you want more forgiveness content but in terms of conscience, I do think that they're conflated, right? Because often our conscience is what's driving us to forgive because we've been taught that it's the right thing to do. Um, and whatever our colloquial definition is, often is problematic. So I 100% agree with you. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting. And I guess the question too is, the, the last framing of this is for Hiroshi, he obviously feels some sort of regret or repentance or something mm-hmm. that has changed his tune. And I'm curious, to me, this seems really authentic, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious how it lands for you. Is this like, does this seem like this is legit to you? What's, what's your thought process there? Um, Sure. <laughs> like, uh, again, again, when when you're uh, I think for him, you know, he he has the capacity to pretend or not. I mean, it's just I don't think it, I don't think it matters. Um, That's my point. I, I don't, just don't think it matters. I, I don't think it matters if he's being genuine or not. 
Um, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 okay. So, so why doesn't it matter? Cause I agree with you, but I'm, I'm curious. Cause that's a pretty bold statement. I think for, for the maybe, maybe it matters for him. Um, maybe it matters for Asami. I, I think for us, like for me personally, like I don't, it doesn't matter to me because it doesn't that alone, uh, his genuineness in that moment, like he's caused so much harm throughout the, the, the course of his life, him wanting to reconnect with his daughter might be very real. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't do that doesn't create, you know, fix a fraction of the harm that he caused. Yeah. Throughout what he was doing. Right. Um, Physical harm to people that he was causing and willing to cause. Um, So, I, yeah, I don't think it matters. Yeah, I, you know, I don't think it matters. And I also think that this is why people like what if they've repented what if they are, are truly ch- what if they've changed that's why we we have to forgive people because the and and, and i think that's where this narrative comes from like, no i don't <laughs> i don't but, have to forgive i don't want harm to come to him but i don't yeah. have to forgive him yeah like and i don't it's funny you say that because the little part i did read of this book is that that's what forgiveness is according to matt potts is the wishing no harm upon this person which is really interesting, um, but I digress. Sure, I can um, get behind that, but that's not the colloquialism that we use for forgiveness. It is a lot of time forgiveness means a, a, a reabsorption of them back into your space, uh, into your life. Um, when it's just like, no, you still don't get to be a part of that. That's not a, what forgiveness a, a is. A return to normal. Yeah, right. like no, like no. So I, it, I think that regardless of whether Hiroshi Sato is genuine in this moment, Asami's treatment of Hiroshi and her willingness to be in community with him, what we see is him make choices for the rest of this season that are for her benefit and for the benefit of what we would deem to for the, of the world, right? And so regardless if he's genuine in this moment, what we see from here is that because he's in community with Asami, his actions are changing. And I think that that is something that's really beautiful about conscience, right? When we listen to the boundaries of other people and these are the people we care about and we pay attention, it's giving us a better framework and reworking of our, of our conscience too. So I think that's, that was kind of my last thought on, on this idea. anything else you want to jump into before we tackle our break and then come back between law and devotion i don't think so but you know if you thought of something that we didn't talk about we don't ask for these very often we did a good job of of covering a lot in this episode because a lot happens and so um but it all it's all a lot of like setup for yep the, the the climax that takes place in the next episode so um be excited to jump to that uh we will be right back and then we'll come back with our tween law and our devotion and gratitude we'll see you soon And we are back. We're going to jump into Tween Law. What is pushing us and pulling us from this episode? Pushing us in towards this episode or or pulling us in and pushing us away? Um, And so uh, what is a moment that really pulls you in? Yeah, there's a lot of things, actually. I didn't remember this memory before uh, um, with Su Yin and her kind of denying the, the role of leadership. And... I found that moment to be particularly insightful this go round. And I was like, oh, 
man. And so I was really drawn in by that. Like, and I don't know that I would have said that on if we had picked a different lens or, but for, for this version, I was really drawn in by that memory. It was something that was really helpful for me, but lots of cool yeah. things. I think for me, Cora's approach just this entire episode just again is a, is a lovely reminder of of the growth that she's um, experienced, uh, unfortunately through lots of trauma. But there's a, a real positive nature to the way that she approaches um, really tough topics now, and I I like that she's showing up in that way, and I like that there's multiple ways for her to to be the avatar, and I think that that's a good thing to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what pushes me away is Varric still blaming Julie after getting captured and then like <laughs> just having no awareness of why she would possibly be against him. Everything I've done for you. Like, were you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and so there's just no self-awareness for Varric. And again, that's a moment where, it, you know, even after he gets captured, Julie, oh, yeah. How could you let this happen? Yeah, it's yeah, like the, the like there's some serious narcissism in in Varric. What it's funny because there's moments that make me laugh, but it's it's a it's it's almost a it's it's a knowing laughter out of like I can't believe this guy. Yeah, <laughs> is this self on like is this unaware? Um, and so I used Varric used to be one of my favorite characters. I I think the bits run pretty old to me at this point, and I don't. I don't find any of it really super enjoyable at this point anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's real, um, super real. Yeah. Um, okay. I guess part of it is maybe, maybe I deal with too many real people like Eric. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that I don't want to see him on screen. Um, but yeah. What about for you? I mean, for me, it's just like, there's this Kuvira is, really showing her cards in this episode. And I think what's really interesting is I could have argued previously to this episode that she was doing this because she genuinely feels like this is the right thing to do. And during this episode, that's a power grab. Yeah. This, this, it changes for me in this episode where this is no longer about what doing what is right. This is about me being in power. And I like, she may still think she's doing it for the right reasons. And this is the point where I'm like, no, (laughs) like there is no way you can argue that from this perspective. If you're truly willing to listen, I can like there, there, this is the wrong, this is the point for me. So I, yeah, I mean, there's a lot going on, and that's just a, a small thing. But I, I think for me, that's that's what pushes me away, like from like wanting, you know, a uh, what's the R word? Not recovery, not repentance, not uh, redemption, redemption art. Hey, there's yeah. the like like the this idea that like this this is a point of like this is feels like this is not okay to the point where it's hard for me to see this is redeemable. This is pretty irredeemable. Um, Like I can wish you no harm. And this is pretty irredeemable in terms of forgiving in the colloquial sense. Yeah. Yeah. Some bad apples, man. Yeah. Yeah. If we are talking devotion now, uh, we are talking through the lens of air or through the lens of conscience, but the element of air. Right. Um, what what comes to mind for you? You know, I was thinking about how, like, this question you raised at the very beginning was, how is conscience developed? And I was thinking about how, like, who we spend our time with matters. And so the the air we share, right, the air we're breathing and the air that is shared in a group is who do I want to be sharing air with, right? Who do yeah. I want, who do I want to be breathing the same air with? And I think that I want to be shaped by people and be like, make sure that I'm spending more time with the friends whose moral decisions align with the way that I want to become, not the way that I think, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I, yeah, 
I want to make we're, sure. we're in very similar boats with our devotional choices because the concept I had was uh, recycled car air or recycled airplane air. Um, is that like if you are recycling the same air in the same space, eventually it runs out and eventually you die. Yep. And if you're not consistently bringing new air in, then you're you're going to fade out, right? And so, how am I? opening more windows and allowing for new air to fill spaces so that it is not just me cycling the same air over and over again. Yeah. I mean, and for, for, for me to be specific, like I'm, a, I have my internship next year and I'm supposed to schedule an interview and make sure that uh, I'm going to be with them for a year. Right. And so I want to make sure that it's a good fit. And like, is this the air that I want to be breathing? Is this the, um, environment that I want to be learning from that's going to be creating this and shaping my inner voice. And so I really want to kind of go in a, into that interview being like, I'm the one who's going to make this decision. I'm not trying to interview for you to say yes, I need to say yes. And so I think that's the the mindset I'm going to kind of go in with. Yeah. And I think for me, it's just what are the multiple avenues of, of that air that I'm getting? So similar thoughts, but um not so much of where am I placing myself, but what am I what am I setting up to have multiple avenues of that air coming through? Which doesn't mean you don't use an air filter. It just means that you're allowing air to come through that space. Um, and and I think that's important for us to do is if we're realizing that a lot of our right and wrong is coming from one Joe Rogan podcast or one. Um, <laughs> one avenue then we've got to shape it up right we've got to figure out how to open up more spaces and more experiences to that so if i'm noticing that nonprofit, you know work that i'm doing is filled with only white men yeah um how am i opening myself up to other avenues of that so yeah um to to allow for more diverse voices in the spaces that i'm in so yeah. all right well, before it's we wrap up, gratitude. Who are we thankful for? Because mine's Opal. Ooh, what a great choice. I just love that in that space, she is not the she is not the power dynamic in that space, right? She is low on the totem pole. She's an airbender. She's coming in as kind of this diplomat. Um, but she is in that room. There are so many people viewed hierarchically above her, and she does not care. And she says, this is wrong. Here's what it really looks like out there. Here's what you're actually doing. And to be able to speak um, to that or, and have the bravery and courage to speak to that in that space um, just floored me. So, Opal. I'm here for it. So, I'm going to pick Bolin. And I could have picked Javeric for the same reason. But, like, I, I love people that are willing to change their mind. <laughs> right? I... I think that they have been in the wrong and I think they've made bad decisions. And I think that that has been due to systemic issues that have been larger than them. And once they get more information, they make different choices. Yeah. And I think that that's in and of itself is worthy of gratitude. And I'm, I'm grateful for people who are willing to change their mind in the face of new information. We love that. Absolutely yeah. love that. Maybe listen to it sooner, <laughs> but I digress. Um, I'm still grateful. I'm so grateful. Yay, change your mind. We love yes, it. absolutely. Well, another episode in the books. Uh, if you haven't yet, uh, we are still active on all the socials. BMB underscore pod, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. Still a lot of stuff coming out in those uh, areas. Um, please Ooh. like, rate, review, wherever you listen to podcasts that would be super helpful for us as well um check out the archv.com that's what i'm doing a lot of movie writing over there and that is also the wonderful host of this podcast um or supporter of this podcast um so check out the archv.com they're doing a lot of movie talk leading up to the oscars which at the time of recording are tonight but by the time that y'all hear this will be uh two days ago um but uh, check them out. They're doing a lot of fun stuff. Uh, they're doing a, a rewatch of all the Mission Impossible movies right now as the new Mission Impossible movie comes out later this summer. So that's just one of the many things they got going on over there. Uh, thanks to Noah, our producer. Uh, does a great job of supporting us here as well. Um, anything else that we need to make sure that we're thinking before we bounce? 
all of our listeners and all of our patrons. That's right. Check us out on Patreon as well. Uh, live episodes each month. Uh, so jump on for those if you uh, would like. I'm Sunshine. I'm Ben. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.